Chapter Eight of Intimate Talks with Movie Stars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Intimate Talks with Movie Stars by Edward Weitzel. Chapter Eight When Lillian Gish Goes on Location on a wet and uncomfortable ice-cake in the arctic sea it has not been settled that lillian gish is to make a picture at the north pole but one thing is positive if she ever does start on such an expedition or the scenario demands that she drift across the arctic ocean on a cake of ice she will take an extra-large supply of grease-paint with her the eskimos will imagine the beautifully pink tinted sticks are a superior brand of candles and will proclaim them a great delicacy. The promise of a grease-paint feast at the end of the trip will secure the help and devotion of as many members of the Order of the Sons of the Midnight Sun as can crowd aboard the Gish Ice-Cake Special. The above statements may sound like a wild flight of imagination. On the contrary, they are sober fact. After her experience in making the ice-stuff for way down east, Lillian Gish is not to be frightened by such a simple bit of business as a two years' drift in the ice-packs of the frigid zone. She is the sort of girl who goes where duty and the scenario send her. Besides, she will have her trusty sticks of grease-paint with her, and will be able to laugh at the cold when it chases the mercury out through the lower end of the thermometer. For she has made a valuable discovery. Grease-paint will not only prove an enticing article of food for the gentleman in fur pants, but a liberal coat of it on the tip of her nose will prevent that useful organ from freezing in the iciest of arctic weather. Sitting in the corner room of her suite in the Savoy Hotel, which commands a glorious view of Central Park, Miss Gish gave me her rules for safely enjoying the new midwinter sport of ice-cake planing in a blizzard. Of course, she admitted, it isn't quite so pleasant as sea-planing in summer behind a fast motor-boat, and it isn't at all likely that you'll grin any if the cake upsets and spills you into the water. But I've found out how to prevent your face from freezing, even after it becomes coated with ice. Whether or not you are a moving-picture actress, put a good heavy grease-paint makeup on your face, and you can defy the cold. That is what saved me from getting frost-bitten cheeks while I was floating down the Connecticut River in January. Mr. Griffith hadn't any such protection on his face, and it was badly frost-bitten before the ice scenes were finished. A long acquaintance with the two Gish girls led to a reference to our first meeting. It took place about eighteen years ago. "'Do you remember what happened that night?' I asked. "'Of course I do,' Lillian exclaimed quickly. "'That was the night Dorothy saved the scene. Don't you remember? She had to go on the stage all alone.' climb up on a chair, take a fire helmet from a nail on the wall, and carry the helmet off. It was very important business, and no one was on the stage with her. Don't you recall that the helmet had been forgotten, and just as soon as Dorothy saw that it wasn't there, she didn't wait to be told what to do, but ran off and got it from the property man, ran back on the stage with it, held it up to the audience, and then ran out of the room through another door. Wasn't that clever for a little girl of five? "'Yes, indeed,' I replied. "'I've seen big girls of twenty-five lose their presence of mind entirely in a similar situation.' 
Dorothy was always like that, said Lillian. I detected evidence of her future distinction then and there, and of her sister's present enviable reputation the next day, I remarked with pretended gravity. Lillian looked puzzled. Why, how was that? What happened? she asked. Do you mean to tell me, I demanded, that you have forgotten how I escorted you to a matinee at another theatre, and that you gravely informed me, between the acts, that you went to a performance every time you had a chance, because it was a great help to you in your work? Wasn't that clever for a little girl of nine? The now famous star of the shadow stage did not look at all displeased at the last question. I must have been a funny little thing with my big ideas, she said. On the contrary, you were very dignified, and I respected you terribly. You were so much in earnest I had to, you know. You made me feel how I had wasted my own young years. At nine I thought only of playing hooky from school, and of chalk the rabbit, and you sat there so quietly, and watched that play with such understanding eyes, that I looked back at twenty-five years' experience in the traffic of the theatre, and blushed for my own lack of achievement. By the way, I asked abruptly, did you go through the Limehouse district of London when you were in England? Yes, Mr. Griffith had the story in mind when we were over after scenes for Hearts of the World. That trip was full of fine opportunities for me. We saw all the best performances in London and in Paris. The French actors are marvelous. And, of course, we visited Shakespeare's birthplace. Mary Anderson lives near there, at a place called Broadway. We had lunch at her home, but she was unable to meet us. Her daughter was taken ill suddenly, and our hostess had gone to the convent where she was at school. You've seen Mary Anderson act a great many times. What was she like? Very stately and beautiful, and a wonderful actress, wasn't she? Yes, her voice was one of her chief charms, rich and full like an organ. Mine isn't a bit like that. That was said regretfully. It's a very nice voice, I hastened to assure her, and then added, and think all that you are saved by not being obliged to use it in portraying characters for the screen. Opera singers and actors on the stage are constantly paying big bills to throat specialists, and must be so careful not to get horsed up. That is only one side of it, returned Miss Gish. Movie actresses cannot get out of rehearsals by sending notes to the effect that they have a cold and dare not risk voice strain. But I want to know more about Mary Anderson. What was her most famous part? She made her greatest success in Winter's Tale. She played both Hermione and Perdita, and London went wild over her, as the expression has it. If you want an expert opinion of the way she acted the two parts, Read William Winter's book, Shadows of the Stage. There were a number of books lying on a table. Lillian Gish opened one of the volumes and took out a slip of paper. That's another book for my list, she remarked. When the name of the Winter work had been duly set down, she turned to me with a very earnest expression on her face. Please give me the names of all the books which will help me, she said. I realize that a screen actress has comparatively few years in which she will be accepted in juvenile parts. By the time I have reached that period of my career, I want to be as far advanced as possible in the art of the spoken stage. I love my screen work, and shall not abandon it until the camera forces me to do so. But I have my future to think of, and the camera isn't kind to a woman after her youth is past. 
so perhaps the salaries we receive are not so large after all. The entrance of the private secretary, whose chief duty is answering the fan letters that arrive on every mail, changed the trend of conversation, and I was handed a note from a youthful admirer of the Way Down East heroine. The writer had been told that the Gish sisters were twins, but she was still a little doubtful as to the truth of the information. "'I wish you would tell me if you really are twins,' she wrote. "'A girl I know says she is sure that one of you was born in Massillon, Ohio, and the other in Chicago, so I guess you can't be twins, after all.'" End of chapter 8